Hello and welcome to the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside virtually Patrick Williams from the AHL.com, among other places. Patrick, how you doing, man? Good, good. How are you? How was Montreal? Montreal was good. It was good. I uh, I think I caught a bit of a cold. I'm not sure. I actually asked this the start of another podcast today. I want to know your opinion. Um, I don't know how often you're in rinks these days or like going on morning skates and whatnot. But Pretty much every weekend. Yeah. Okay. So you still are. Yeah. Or no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you do interviews, do you shake their hand after? So funny story about shaking hands in hockey, right? Okay. Um, Early, early in my career, um, did an interview. uh, Won't mention the player's name. Takes, you know, it was right at was He's like coming off the ice. Still his hand in his glove. He reaches out, shakes my hand, you know, so I shake his hand back. Well, he must have had, I don't know what, grown in that in those gloves. Oh because like within like a, not even probably a full day, my hand kind of like broke out into a rash. Like, <laughs> doubled in size. I mean, I looked like, my fist looked like Mike Tyson's fist. You know, like, you know, like just blew up, right? Like That is disgusting. And, uh, you know, I guess it was just some sort of, you know, bacterial growth, you know, and I, you know, I got some antibiotics or whatever for it and I was fine. But yeah, after that, I kind of learned that, you know, you know, players will still shake, shake hands. And so, you know, I do that, but I've always, even pre-pandemic carried a little bottle of uh, like hand sanitizer with me, just, just in case. That's uh, hilarious because so Justin Cohn from the other podcast that he also carried hand sanitizer around. Also, I think pre-pandemic, I should have that too. The reason I say is I, I thought about it like after, because I, I, and I've learned, and I'm on record now for saying this, but I, I guess I instinctually like went to shake the player's hand. And then even before I started feeling this way, I kind of looked, I was like, why am I doing that? Like, why? Like, I guess it's, it's polite, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, it really made me think. And I don't know, maybe I'll just do fist bumps from now on. Yeah. And I'll add that this was not the angel. This was, you know, different levels. So. Um, you know, I guess maybe, you know, by the time you get to the higher levels, you know, the equipment's a little cleaner and, you know, and I think certainly these days there's more mindfulness of just general, uh, you know, hygiene, meditation. I mean, you know, gloves are just, you know, like a, a prime breeding ground for all sorts of unpleasant things. Right. You know, it's sweaty and dark and hot and, you know, so. There's no harm, no foul, but uh, yeah, I, I you know, kind of learned a little rookie rookie tip there um, yeah. that I've always kept in mind ever since. Yeah, thanks for sharing that one along, man. Should have given me a heads up. <laughs> I've been shaking everyone's hand and hugging them. Had no idea. Uh, all right, so let's get started with this topic. This is really interesting. So Phil Tomasino, uh, Tomasino sorry, was recalled uh, two days ago by the Predators. He hasn't played with Nashville all year even mm-hmm. after playing 76 games last year, his rookie year had 32 points. Then he comes down, you know, he had a poor camp. They sent him down. John Hines, I think it was like October, second week of October, I, I believe it was, said this is what's best for, best for him. We see him as a top six talent soon. But for now, this is where he should be. Well, that was mm-hmm. in October. It's now February. That was, was a long time ago. But Phil Tomasino is now back up with the Predators. He played a line with Granlin and Johansson last night, recorded a shot on goal as well. So, I don't want to get too much into this part of it because, you know, it may become redundant. But I saw on Cap Friendly he was set, set down 
Um, I don't see anything about that on the AHL or a team release. So who knows really with that, but just kind of in general, um, I'll be honest. I was surprised it took this long for him to get back up there. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Pat, we've talked a little bit at length about how Carl Taylor, he does a great job with these prospects. Um, you know, even Ellie Tolvain and now he's with Seattle, but before when he was with Milwaukee, Taylor did a great job with him. Thomas Novak, you're seeing this year. You saw Parasinan, the name, Cody Glass, it goes on and on and on. But Nashville, for some reason, it just seems like Something's not really right with with these guys once they get to the NHL level. Curious what you think about Tomasino's development just kind of this season and what your takeaway from afar is through what has been, I'm sure, a, a trying you know couple months for him. Yeah, so I, I see quite a bit of uh, Milwaukee. They're one of those teams every year. I, I really make, make it a point to see them even a little bit extra because uh, that Milwaukee-Nashville model really for the last – almost really 20 years. I mean, even go back to the days of, you know, Shea Weber and, 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 and Peck Arena and guys like that, kind of that first wave of real stud prospects that came through there. Um, you know, they've really implemented a very efficient player development system. I mean, you look at that national roster up and down, it's Milwaukee alumni, you know, pretty much one after the other. So sure. um, I'm not that surprised that they've kept them down this whole season up until this point. Uh, they take a very patient approach um, and they are, are in some ways similar to Tampa. Like they'll err on the side of overriping naming a player at that level. Um, they really, yeah. they sent him down because they wanted him to completely overhaul his, his play away from the puck. I the question though, Pat, not to cut you off too much, but I just have to ask you, like the question I have is they're a patient approach, but how, how did he make the team last year? That's where the disconnect for me still, I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, you know, so sometimes things just, you know, those issues that maybe you're willing to live with with a player early on, in the sure. hopes that he'll he'll figure it out, you know, and then it becomes kind of apparent that he hasn't quite figured it out, and you know, then you come to another training camp, and then you know, you're thinking, all right, maybe this is the point where he does, and he doesn't, right? So you, it's one of those things you'll take a step back now in order to make make it a, you know, effectively an effective long-term approach. Right. And Nashville's always looked, they don't look, you know, a month ahead. They look three, four or five years ahead. I mean, that's the kind of the David Poyle philosophy there. Right. Really since he's, you know, I mean, he was part of, you know, from the, from the get-go. So in that sense, I'm not surprised. I spoke with Carl Taylor, we, you know, we had a pretty good in-depth conversation about Thomas, you know, and that was really the message. Like, um, come down and, and overhaul your game away from the puck. Learn how to play that, you know, we hear that ad nauseum, but it's true, right? Learn how to play that two-way game. I mean, that's that's what's going to separate you from all the other prospects in the AHL that can score goals but can't necessarily handle things in their own zone or in the neutral zone. So if you can do that, I mean, and I think he's learned from one of the best in Carl Taylor. Now, he did get hurt when he came down. He missed um, uh, about a month, so then that's another setback. Um, but I, what I've liked with him is that he, he, despite this, you know, real look, you know, this real, um, prioritization of, of defensive play, he still put up uh, solid numbers in Milwaukee. So it hasn't had to sort of, I'll say cheat the opposite way, but, you know, he hasn't had to sacrifice his offensive play, uh, you know, in order to, to bring that play away from the puck up to a higher level. What makes Carl Taylor so good at what he does? He's just, he's a very direct guy. Like you talk to him and like, he just talks to you like a person. 
right off the bat. Like as opposed to an animal. <laughs> doesn't talk to you like a like a coach, like like a coach is supposed to talk. He doesn't talk sure. to you like I'm just teasing like a boss. He talks to you kind of like person to person. Like he's a very um, you know, he had very sort of humble beginnings himself, uh, coming up through the business. Um, he really had to grind his way up, um, you know, really from the kind of the lower ranks of, of the hockey world. So I think he has, you know, appreciation for where he is and, uh, he doesn't have that ego. Right. And, uh, players were shot on really well to him. I mean, and if, you know, even speak with him for five minutes, um, you know, it becomes very apparent why, um, he can connect well with players. I think he's, he's good at reading personalities. He's good at tailoring, no pun intended, his, um, um, his approach to different types of personality. Some players, they need, you know, they need a kick in the pants. Other players, they need, you know, it's the old adage. They need a, you know, a pat on the head. And, um, and a lot of players need some, something in between. So he's able to walk that line and figure out what makes a certain player tick. Certainly. Uh, you know, I was just kind of scaling. I was looking a bit at, we've always talked to you and I about how you kind of always want to like gauge like who, who's on the upswing with like a Calder cup, but, you know, we kind of always know this could change the roster, and it's it, it's always like that back and forth thing. But let's have some fun. I kind of want to sure. look from the onset of who who could kind of stick out to you. The first team for me is is I'll be honest, I wasn't high on Toronto. I don't know where I am still on them, but with with Joe Wall playing the way he's playing, like I I see a goaltender that can win you a Calder Cup. And what I mean by that, let me be very clear. I'm not here saying a goalie's going to fully lift you there. I'm also not saying the Marlies are a bad team in their own right. They've got great quality guys. Adam Gaudet. I'm sure Joey Anderson will be there for the run. Alex Steves. Bobby McMahon, great player. I, I love Bobby McMahon. Noel Hoffenmeyer. The, the list goes on and on. But I see someone like Joe Wall that can, and this happens a lot in the American Hockey League, steal games, go on a run, be the guy, and propel their team. What do you think about the Marlies from, from this point as contenders, where they're at right now? Well, I think that that you know, you know, the adage about you know goalies stealing series, I think that that goes even more true in the AHL, where For early sure. on in the playoffs, right? Like, depending on where you finish, you have a three game, a best of three, of two mm-hmm. best of fives, and only by the time do you get to the conference final do you actually get into the best of seven. Yep. So you can kind of like, if you get on a little bit of a roll, you can kind of churn through those first few series pretty quickly, pretty efficiently, and and, and we saw that you know last year like. For example, with Chicago, I mean, I think they were, they would have won regardless, but they made it pretty efficient on themselves. They didn't waste a lot of energy and time early on getting through, you know, those real grinding early rounds. So it, it's a different animal from the Stanley Cup playoffs in that sense where, you know, that first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is always like such a battle, right? Yeah. You know, you see teams by, you know, game six or game seven, and it's, you know, they're already just like, you know, Speed up, and you're like, you think to yourself, they have three more rounds of this to go. But like mm-hmm. in the AHL, like you can speed through things pretty fast. I mean, sometimes it's, it's actually the opposite challenge where you'll get, you know, a break of 10 to 14 days midway through the playoffs mm-hmm. because, you know, the, the way it's staggered. And, you know, then you have to somehow kind of way, find a way to keep your team fresh. So I think with Toronto, I mean, Wall, that's a great point. Um, number one ranked power play. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, you know, living with the power play can always be risky, right? Like, yeah, no, that's especially sure. in the playoffs where, you know, depending on, um, you know, how physical it gets or, you know, like, you know, you know, just depending on what, you know, the playoff standard is, that can be a tough, uh, tough way. But they do have skill, right? Like, you know, and I, they're well coached. So um, 
I wouldn't count them out at all. I mean, I, you know, it's a fool's errand. <laughs> just really, you know, we're probably going down a bad path trying to, you know, really <laughs> break down the age. Pat, I want you to tell me exactly now who's going to win. I want you to stick to it. <laughs> yeah, it's all special. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, uh, I'll say to that, get me through the, the NHL trade in like first. Yeah, so, so you, question about that. Like you would know best. So could the Leafs paper Pontus Holmberg? I mean, you can pop paper. Yeah, you can paper somebody, right? Like, you know, as long as you get them onto the HL roster in time, um, you know, right? waivers and all that. I mean, but yeah. With your entry level exempt, all that, you could paper them before the deadline, right? Like that whole thing. That whole yeah. thing. Like the, yeah. the paper shuffle, whatever it is, by like the NHL trade deadline. Yeah, the paper shuffle gets really super complicated, right? And then remember, too, then you have to also have an AHL roster deadline a week later. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. That. That generally That's affects guys on AHL deals, but okay, okay. Um, generally speaking, you know, without getting too far into the weeds, you want a player there in the playoffs, especially sure. a, a younger entry level type player. It's generally not an issue. Okay, um, teams get their players in place where they have to get them. So, Pat, let me ask you: going to the West here, who would you? And then we'll go back to the East for one more. Um, these two teams I want to talk about: Calgary and Coachella Valley. Let's talk about them both, but but who's the favorite there right now? As currently constructed, I'm not trying to trap you, but I'm serious. <laughs> who, who's the favorite? Well, I guess I have my um, opinion. I want to hear yours. Well, like to piggyback on our conversation from last week, Dustin Wolf. Like, is Dustin Wolf there in April, May? Yeah. Because if he is, oh yeah, I love Calgary's chances. If he's not, then I think it becomes a little bit more wide well, open. He'll be there. He'll be there, 100. percent you know what? We say that, but you know what? It's one injury. You're always in this league. You're you're not even one injury away on your team. You're one injury away on your parent club's team, right? So right, you're dealing but, with two two factors right off the bat there. Right. Fair. But I'm going to say that it, there's a good chance Wolf's there, barring injury. You can say that for anything. Let's just say personnel-wise without that. Okay, so I, too, think that Calgary would be the favorite there. As the, crazy, the crazy thing about that division is you're going to have a situation where, let's say it's Coachella and Calgary, you're have a really good team. Yeah, all the postseason pretty early. Yeah. and if you get past, let's say you go out of the Pacific Division, you still have to let's say maybe go through Texas. Sure, that's a real, real well coached, extremely well coached, very deep, very sort of um, you know, well balanced team. Potentially Milwaukee. Um, so Rockford is kind of my wild card there because they're going to probably get some players back from, from Chicago. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Um, so they're your sleeper. Hey. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, all of a sudden you get some of that, you know, that we've seen it time and time again, right? Yeah. Like sometimes the most dangerous teams are the ones with the NHL team goes home in April, right? And you get those players that come down. Now, if they, you got to get players come down in the right frame of mind, mm-hmm. um, ready to go. But if you have that in place, you know, you can take a team similar, let's let's say last season to Springfield. I mean, now St. Louis got into the playoffs, but they were done fairly early. Mm-hmm. Um, Springfield just got better and better and better right through, through you know, as each round progressed. Same thing with Laval. Mm-hmm. Laval was probably even a better example with Montreal missing the playoffs. And they just... You didn't have to worry about call-ups. You didn't right. have anything pulling out your roster. You just had your your your, your team in place, which is such a, a rare luxury at this level, right? To just have stability on your roster.
roster. Let me tell you this. You know who I think my sleeper is? I think if Laval can squeak in, okay, if Laval can get in, there'll be a lower seed. And then he get mm-hmm. Bazile, Harvey Prenard, Barron, those guys back. And that could be a real big upset, I think. And I think they could go, go on a run. Like, I really, maybe not, maybe not winning the Calder, but I think they can win a round or two if they have a lower seeding with those guys back. But granted, they've got to get in first, right? Like, he, Sure. That's the biggest obstacle. Yeah, they have they have Cleveland kind of uh, chasing them now. Cleveland, well, Cleveland is kind of my wild card in, in the, the. Oh sure. Because you know they've been kind of real up and down. Columbus, all the issues there with the roster and injuries. Really, and some of the best players in the league. But if you get some of those players back, you, and, and just not even getting players back, it's just getting some stable, stabilization on your roster. That that alone will help you, right? Sure, of course. So. Cleveland could be a difficult team to contend with if they get in. Now that's because Marchenko could come down. Sure, like if they paper him in time, yeah, sure. Um, and that's now, pretty scary. Whether or not they want to, I don't know, but right, he, yeah, uh, that may be a no at that point. Yeah, you know, and like sometimes teams decide, right? You know, we want to shut the player down for the year, or you know, world championship. Maybe you decide that's better for him. There's sure. a lot of uh, variables that go into that, but. Yeah, I mean, my God, if you put him on the roster somehow, um, we talked about him, you know, early on. I mean, he's the man. Pretty dynamic player to be able to add to your roster, you know, for the playoffs. But you know, we'll see, right? Like Syracuse, I never count them out. They always find a way. Um, they've got a Utica's great. Time. Another wild card, like they've been kind of up and down this year. They went on a real tear. Who was that? Um, Utica. Um, oh yeah. You know. See, that'll depend and, uh, on the deadline. We'll get to that. They're, they're still pretty sour about last year in the playoffs. Uh, they went out pretty early after, you know, winning, um, you know, the regular season. And so, yeah, and that doesn't even get us to, to the Atlantic where you have Providence, Hershey, Charlotte's a wild card. Um, Hershey's a wild card. Hershey's a wild card, yeah. Uh, Springfield's been on a real roll, nine, nine out of their last ten uh, wins. So, yeah, this – yeah, the Calder Cup playoffs are wide open. It's not like the NHL with the Stanley Cup playoffs where, you know, you can kind of boil things down to like maybe, I don't know, six to eight sure. legitimate cup contenders here. It's like, <laughs> take your pick. Because it's like the trade deadline. If the NHL had trade deadline, you can improve your roster, but the trickle-down effect for the AHL either depletes yours or absolutely bolsters it. So it's kind of a whole wild, wild west. I want to get to our prospect of the week and then our team of the week here before we um, you know, wrap it up because I'm sure we'll get to all those teams we just mentioned through the, the, the stretch here. Well, I, Hey, I bet you the episode after the roster deadline or the trade deadline will be crazy. Hey, it'll just be us reading and that'll be cool. Then we can stack up kind of where people are looking because then we'll have an idea of the best possible rosters at mm-hmm. hand there. So let's get to our prospect of the week. And that is Georgi Merkulov, Boston, Boston, not the Boston Bruins prospect, actually, because he's an AHL, or is he on ELC? Oh, uh, Merkulov. Um, it was an AHL deal, no? Well, so he played one year at Ohio State, right? Like, so kind of, uh, you know, he had that real weird situation there, right? Um, he's not an AHL deal. But he did, yeah. So he came in here. Um, so, Yeah. He's right. on a three-year entry level with 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 Boston. But, yeah. Um, um, yeah. He's an interesting uh, interesting prospect, right? Like, so he's from Russia. Came over playing USHL. Then he plays one year at Ohio State. Completely rips it up there. 
yeah. comes into the the AHL, which is another jump. Um, so really, in the span of one season, he went from the USHL all yeah. the way to the AHL, and now this year he's in Providence. And he's rip, not ripping it up quite the same extent, but um, he's he's figuring it out pretty fast. So um, he's one that I think really keep an eye on. He's uh, you know kind of the reigning player of the week now. Um, and just another example, really, right, of, of the, the way Boston will, will find those diamonds in the rough, those free agent uh, picks, and um, develop them well. And, you know, I mean, so, you know, people people will get on Boston for their for their draft um, work. But if you if you can kind of find other ways around it and you can um, kind of find these these players after the fact, right? Like you can make up for, you know, whatever shortcomings might happen at the draft. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I like Merkulov's game a lot. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's confident. I think that's the thing, confident with a puck, um, which I love to see that in a young player, right? Cause that's one of the biggest weaknesses for young players in general. It's just that, that, that confidence with the puck and, you know, being willing to, um, you know, do something with it, right. Not just handle it like it's hot potato. And that's, um, something that I really noticed about his game jump out to me. What's funny too is you mentioned about Boston. Like for a guy like Merkulov, if you get him in Providence, like like from the onset of them signing him, mm -hmm. you get him in Providence, he has confidence up, he becomes a player. That's such a win because I'll be honest, I don't know if like a Fabian Lazelle will be a Boston Bruin, whether it's past this deadline or next year, because look at their window, look at the way that they're going, the Hampus Lindholm trade also signal that they're not really giving a crap about the future. They got Bergeron to take a team-friendly deal. The same with Krejci. you got to win now. And at that point, the Fabian Lazelles, all those guys are going to kind of probably move on. So then what happens is, like, the Oscar Steens, the, you know, all those kind of second-tier prospects become even more important. And Merkulov's in that class. He's mm -hmm. still only 22 years old. Yep. And he just, you know, he just turned 22. A couple, or not just, but in October. So anyways... Very intriguing prospect for Boston. I'm also curious to know kind of why he went the USHL, then the NCAA route, and then just left. Like, uh, is that a little? I know it happens more and more now with the Europeans coming to college, but do you have any idea what happened there? Yeah, I've not really been able to to uh, get to the bottom of that. Uh, you know, but but like you said, it is something you see more and more now, right? Like, totally. Like if you're serious about coming over to North America and building a career and pursuing the NHL. I can see the appeal of it, right? Like you come over, like you get the English part of um, the whole training down early on. Right. right? I mean, right. and then the, the college ranks, and we've talked about this before, right? Like, I mean, what a way to try to develop. I mean, you, you play a more kind of player friendly schedule. Um, you have a lot of time for training. If, if you're a little bit of a slower developer, you can bulk up that way. Um, so yeah, depending on, you know, kind of what your needs are as a prospect. Um if you can get that, that, that path, you know, through the USHL and onward to college, even if you only spend one year, like he did, um, I think it's, uh, it's a good pathway to go for a young player now. I and mean, if it's not easy, right. Cause like, I mean, college is just not like you show up and you play hockey, right. You also have to balance your schoolwork and everything else that comes with that. Right. That's no totally. small deal, especially trying to do it, you know, in a second language, you know, I, I wouldn't want to try to go to Ohio state, you know, the second language, you know, but, uh, you know, if you, if you have the ability to do it more power to you and, uh, it really can, I think take you pretty far. 
Agreed. Let's get to our team of the week, and that is the New Jersey Devils and their prospects that are in the AHL. This is going to be interesting. So you mentioned how Utica was a little unhappy about how last year ended. Well, I think it's safe to say that probably a, a, a member of their team will be traded at the deadline uh, at some in some way, shape, or form, or that their roster will change. Just for the record, I think Alex Holtz in any Timo Meyer deal will be the guy dealt. I know that Holtz has been on the Devils more so, but I think you and I have talked about it a couple times. He's a great player. Um, but they have a long list of prospects with the Utica Comets that are very, very noteworthy. Let's start with Simon. Uh, it's Nemec, right? Mm-hmm. Nemec. Simon Nemec, second overall pick in last year's draft. Tough start for him to start things out really, you know, and understandably. You know, he didn't really take off the way that Juracek did in Cleveland right out of the gate, but that's not to be expected. He has an adjustment as well. He's coming from the Slovakian League over to, to North America. A bit of an adjustment, but very strong last couple of weeks for him. Yeah, so it's funny, right? Like, so, uh, you know, I love talking with Kevin Denine, the head coach in Utica. I mean, here's a guy who played 19 years in the NHL. He was a captain. Um, he's been coaching now, you know, since uh, 2005. He had uh, Ryan Perry, or Ryan Perry, uh, Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff. Um, a little hybrid in, there. In the Anaheim system early on, uh, not for a long time, but he saw kind of that elite level prospect um, in the AHL. Right. Uh, he's had other ones come through since. Um, he brought up an interesting analogy, you know, when, when we were going to kind of through the situation with Nemitz, right? And he was like, yeah. I remember when my kid, he went out uh, for the volleyball team, right? Like in, uh, in high school, right? Sure. And he's like, I went to watch the first game and it like, you know, actually I wrote down the deck quote and it was like, he was like, oh boy. <laughs> right. you know? yeah, yeah, and he said, and then suddenly you get to like, you know, he goes to the tenth game of the volleyball season, right? And like they're setting setting the ball up, they're spiking. I mean, they look like you know, like they've been doing this their whole lives, right? And he sort of used that analogy with with totally. Nemitz. It's just um, like he thinks the game really well, and the IQ, the hockey IQ is there. It's just sort of a matter of letting everything else catch up to that. Mm-hmm. It's starting to do that now, right? And like. Totally. He, you see that progression, right? You know, this happens with a lot of players, right? Like the player you see in October and then the player you see in April or even the player you see from April to June can sometimes almost like not seem like it's even the same player, right? And and that's kind of what you're doing right here. And I mean, here's a guy who didn't even, he didn't even turn 19 until, well, actually today. <laughs> happy birthday, Simon. So happy birthday, yeah. um, right? So like it's easy to forget, right, just how young these guys are. Right. I mean, like totally barely done high school. Right. Like he's trying to play against guys that are 25, 30 years old and played NHL games. So um, I think he's more than holding his own. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the poise Uh, on the guy. And again, like another guy willing to just shoot the puck. Right. Like, you know, which I love that with a young defenseman. Right. To me, because that's such a a good sign of confidence. Right. Like sometimes it um, takes till their second year pro when they start getting more shot attempts off. Yeah. Um, So he's doing that and uh, he's taking on an even bigger and bigger role. Um, so I think if I'm the New Jersey Devils, I'm extremely happy with with what he's done so far, and, and I'm getting traded. Happy that he's with uh, Kevin Deneen there. Kevin Deneen's really protective of his young players, and um, we'll certainly look out for the best uh, for, for Nemitz. And let me be clear, he will not be getting traded. That's an untouchable no. if there ever is one, along with Luke Hughes. All right, so how about uh, quickly here, Nolan Foot? Um, you know, he's a player that you know. I don't want to say that. I expected more of him or whatnot, but it's just interesting because he's gone into NHL games before. He was traded over 
from Tampa Bay at some point. I'm just kind of curious where he, you know, he's only 22, but is he someone that could be dangled at a trade? Or do you think that is more of a second tier prospect that we could see kind of as a depth piece of the playoff goes on? Oh, I don't think they view him as a second tier. I very much view him as still, you know, real legitimate prospect. Right. So like, so he was one of those players. He came in in the pandemic year. I didn't love that for young players to have that. Right. Like, you know, I get, you know, circumstances right but that was just a tough year uh, yeah he came in with being to the former affiliate they had a really rough go of it um, um so that was kind of a tough situation to walk in as a young pro but you know he's a first round pick he's part of that blake coleman deal with tampa um you know about almost three years ago now so um i think he's progressing uh, i understand why you know maybe people think that he's now in the second tier but 16 goals, 38 games. I mean, you start to project that uh, that over a full season. That's pretty good, you know, production-wise. Sure. Uh, now, granted, it's not just about numbers at this level. It's about everything else in your game. But, um, you know, he obviously, you know, his father being Adam Foote, um, you know, there's, you know, obviously comes from kind of a you know good hockey background. So, so I think just stay the course with him, right? Like, I'm in no way willing to say that he's uh, not as – does not have an NHL future. I think he very much does. I think we just gotta, you know, players have their own timeline. And I think no, for teams sure. get into trouble is when you start to rush that timeline. But I more so mean like, is he an energy bottom six guy? Um, it's not a bad thing. Those are important pieces. No, not, not, not a bad thing at all, right? Um, I think he's a little higher than that, like, like middle six, maybe. Yeah, I think he's he's got more to offer than that, but. But like sure. you said, yeah, not that's not the worst in the world either. I mean, you need all. No, you need effective ones. Yeah. So Graham so. Clark is another guy. He, he, I actually I like Graham Clark's game quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he'll have the chance in, in New Jersey necessarily, whatnot. But I like Graham Clark a lot because he's not an overly big guy or whatever, but he gets to the slot, and I think that that's really going to help him as things go on and really give him more chances. Just quickly here, we'll go with him and another guy. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Graham Clark and your opinions of him. Yeah, so I, one of the things I really liked about Graham Clark is, uh, like, you know, during that pandemic year, I mean, he went over to the Slovak League. Um, yeah. I think he was only 19 at the time and, and, and took on that challenge. And that, to me, just showed, like, a real assertiveness, a real kind of, like, go-get-it mentality. That's uh, sure. I think to see that in such a young player was impressive. He was, again, another player that kind of got, you know, that big Binghamton team that had a tough year. Um, you know, maybe the numbers weren't there from last year, but uh, this year he certainly picked it up production-wise. Um, and just for, for a young player, I think to have, I can't stress this point enough to have Kevin Deneen, guy who played almost 20 years in the NHL there to nitpick every little detail of your game and refine it. I think maybe like if he was in a different system, maybe you might be a little, um, questioning, you know, his potential, but I think a guy like Deneen is going to get every single last bit out of every single player on that team, uh, Graham Clark included. Absolutely. Uh, last one, Riley Walsh. Riley Walsh, a good young defenseman. Um, you know, he was a little bit kind of a, you know, a wild player early on um, where, you know, certainly you saw the potential, right? But the defensive game needed a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that that progression has continued. Um, I'd like to see him, I, I think, next year. At camp, I think, is when you start to see him make a real push. Right. Um, 
you know, but, uh, you know, is a, sees the ice well, good eye, you know, you know, obviously in the offensive zone. Um, I like where he's going. Um, it's not there yet, but I think if you, um, a little more time for him, I think there's still something there to be had. So I'm, I'm actually quite, quite high on him as well. It's great for New Jersey. They have all the, they have great depth to begin with, but mm-hmm. also guys are all in the same age range. Yeah. Like exactly. looking at, I'm not even looking from a trade prospect standpoint. I'm looking at the fact that if you have these assets that are in this sort of age range of what your window is contention, it could be great. You know, I think it, it puts less pressure to sign certain guys and whatever it may be. So, I mean, that's very encouraging for New Jersey. We'll be interested to see how many guys are still devil's property after the deadline, depending on how big the swing they take. But yeah, that's uh, that's our take on the devils and, and that's our show for today. So, so thank you everyone for, for listening. We'll be sure to, we'll get more into, and we'll kind of, from here on out, be recurring with with Calder Cup favorites and whatnot. But as we kind of said, it's a fl- as insiders like to say, it's a fluid situation that is changing, um, and it's always kind of a, a smorgasbord. So our opinions next week could totally change. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, dis- disregard what we just said. But thank you so much for tuning in to the Hawking News on the A podcast, Pat. Thank you for joining me. I know you didn't want to against your will, um, but you're con- contractually obliged. Anyways, thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>